everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Alison Grunendijk. So... Last year, we were sitting in staff meeting and trying to just dream and brainstorm about what the teaching series would be in 2020. And we really felt like God had led us to the Happy Together series, um, just because he so wants us to learn how to be flourishing together in community. And so that is, uh, that's how we kicked off our year. And then we thought, okay, after that, we want to do something that's really focused on us as individuals, about inner transformation of our hearts and of our lives. And so we're like, great, this is a great idea. But Amos's uh, idea for the series title was actually really pretty lame. <laughs> um, and so we're really struggling. Everybody's going back and forth like, that sounds terrible. That sounds really terrible too. No, that's not the right way to name it. And then Tyler is um, kind of checked out. And I look over, I'm like, what? He's not even paying attention. And he's on his computer and he's typing, typing, typing. And he says, hey guys, hold on. I really can't describe what I want to say about the title, but what do you think about this? And he turns the computer around, and he shows us this. I'm not okay. And so we had no idea last fall that the timing of this would be so, so important for us. We had no idea we were going to be here in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of this global pandemic, and that What a timely invitation, what an opportunity to press into the ways that we really are not okay. Because I think all of us are feeling this. We're feeling a little more stress, a little more anxiety, and a little less okay. And I want to just say, that's okay. (laughs) Um, But also, you know, I'm I'm starting to wonder if the coronavirus isn't so much causing our anxiety um, as it is just revealing it. Like, we've all been pretty good at managing the stress and managing the anxiety, and it's stuffed down. Um, And this is making it rise to the surface. If you're anything like me, that is what you are starting to notice. And so we just want to give space in this next season to say, I'm not okay. But let's really start looking at the ways that we try to cover that up. We cover it up with busyness. We cover it up with overeating. We cover it up with Netflix and Facebook and noise and more stuff. And I just want to say to us, we need to look at these things closely so that we can start to be okay in who we are. And I want to kick this series off with a reprise of shame. And I know that maybe makes some of you squeam a little bit. I taught on it actually the last time we were all together in this room was on shame. And I want to reprise that because actually, I'm not okay is a great definition of shame. That is really what it means. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, my circumstances aren't okay. My environment's not okay. These people aren't okay outside of me. Or I'm, I feel guilty because I did something wrong or bad, but actually I am not okay. There's something wrong with me. That is shame speaking. And so 
I just feel like on the heels of Easter, uh, just that it would be appropriate to stay in the Gospels and kind of look at the life of Peter and see where shame is most certainly festering in his life. Um, And Peter has spent his life trying to be the best disciple. He thinks he has it going on. And he even got renamed from Simon to Peter. And in that moment, Jesus says, you're going to be the leader of my church. I choose you to be at the head of this thing that is so important and so stellar. And so Peter's feeling on cloud nine. He's, he's doing great. But we find him in this olive grove the night that Jesus is going to get arrested. And he's like, what is happening? Everything I've worked for seems to be unraveling. My whole life is falling apart. And despite my best efforts, I cannot stop Jesus' death. And so he has all this emotion raising to the surface. This is my life's work. This is the guy I'm following, and it's all falling apart. And so I want to pick up in John 18, like I said, in that olive grove where the Roman soldiers and the temple guards are coming to arrest Jesus. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus of Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So they arrest him, and he goes to his first trial. And then this is where all the denial happens. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate, the gatekeeper, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. So then there's some more questioning happening, and Peter's already feeling that shame rise. What am I doing? i got to get out of here. And he's staying in the background. And the scripture goes on, and it says, Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest who happened to be a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked again, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? And again, a third time, Peter denied it. In the gospel accounts, Peter's denials get a lot of airtime. I mean, there's a ton of text about this, and it makes me wonder um, if God just doesn't want to highlight the fact of like, you know, don't get confused about who Jesus picks as his friends. He's not picking the cream of the crop. These guys are screw-ups. And Peter is a bully here. He's a bully in the face of authority. You know, Jesus, all he has to do is say, I am he, and the people fall down. The soldiers fall down. The temple guards fall backwards with just the power of Jesus's words. But then Peter needs to jump in there and use violence. 
He gets his sword out and he cuts this guy's ear off in this act of violence. And so you can imagine the shame that Peter's feeling in that moment. Like, oh my goodness, everything that Jesus' life and mission has taught us is that his way is one of peace. We don't pick fights. We don't pick fights as Jesus' followers. We don't use aggression and violence to further the kingdom. We are people of peace. But here, Peter blew it and he cuts this guy's ear off. Peter truly knew better. He knew better, and Jesus still had to tell him, Peter, put your sword away. That's not the way we're doing this. And then later we see him as a coward and a liar. You know, he's, he's just trying to get in there, and maybe even he has good intentions. Like, I just got to get past this, this gatekeeper so that I can get into the real trial, so I can defend Jesus because he's my guy. But he lies right away. He says, you know, I'm scared, and in my fear, I, I just deny any association with Jesus. And then shame starts doing its thing because he does it two more times. He says, nope, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't know you. Don't look at me. And I just think this is how shame works, you guys. This is a neurophysiological event that is happening to you. It's not just out there in the environment, out there in the world, not this abstract concept. Like, sure, I know about shame. No, this is happening to your brain, first and foremost. And I am so, so grateful for the tremendous work of psychiatrists and researchers and people like Brené Brown and Kurt Thompson, who I'm drawing on largely to tell you about shame today. And... Uh, Kurt cites one of his favorite psychologists, Alan Shore, when he says, you know, I think this is the best metaphor we have for shame, is that the mechanics of shame run kind of like a manual transmission car, right? So you all probably know a stick shift has a gas, a brake, and the clutch, of course. And you know that when you decelerate the car, uh, if you don't engage the clutch, what happens? it stalls out. And it does not do so quietly. If it's anything like my few attempts at driving a stick shift, this thing just stalls out hard and jarringly. And it is, it feels terrible when you're riding in the car to feel that stall out. And you know, humans are actually a lot like cars. We all have an accelerator. In fact, we were all born in what I call go mode. (laughs) And so if you uh, don't believe me, you just have to spend a few moments with my one-year-old daughter to know that this is true. She is go, go, go. She is in constant go mode, except for when she's sleeping. (laughs) Thank goodness for sleeping times, right, parents? Um, But so, you know, God God gives us this. This is a God-given urge to go, to move, to do, to create. And At some point, though, you know, I love all her energy, but at some point, go has to be stopped. We have to be able to say no as parents for her safety, for her health, for her well-being. Go has to be stopped. And so we decelerate. We decelerate. But you have to apply the clutch or shame comes in the picture. And the clutch here is my relational connection to you. 
The fact that I know you, I love you, you're with me, I see you. That is the clutch. So I'm sure you can think of a time, even in this past week, where you put the brakes on your spouse or your kid or your friend or your coworker, but you didn't engage the clutch. Maybe your spouse walks into the room to tell you this really important thing about their day and you just can't pull your eyes away from your phone. You're just so engrossed and you just miss it. You miss that connection. That is a, I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm stiff-arming you. That's what it feels like in that moment, even though you don't mean it. Or maybe your kid has just spent the day making this awesome Lego spaceship and they run into the room and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, I want to show you this cool thing. But you're like, I really got to go change the oil in the car. Like, this cannot wait. I'm sorry. No, I don't have time to look at that right now. Or maybe you got on Zoom to do a group chat and you threw your two cents in the conversation, but the dialogue just kept rolling. It was like you weren't even there. You weren't seen. And you know, this need to be known and seen and valued is the deepest driving force of our life. And when it doesn't happen, even in those minutest of ways, shame is there. Shame is activated. It's happening all the time. I'm experiencing shame and I don't know what it is and I'm shaming you and I don't even know I'm doing it. Shame is what happens when we forget the relational clutch. And here's the thing, the disintegration that this makes us feel drives us to turn away from each other instead of towards each other. Like who, when you're feeling shame, do you want to raise your hand and be like, guys, I'm feeling shame right now. Let me tell you all about it. No, that's not our reaction. Our reaction is this feels terrible and I need to hide and no one will see this. No one will see this. But guys, shame is at its worst when the conversation is not between you and me. It's when it's in my own head. That's where shame is doing its work, when you are stuck on the hamster wheel of self-condemnation. And you know, if, if you're like me, I get really, really good at this, and then I'm like, it's so good, I got to share it with you. <laughs> and it spills over into your life. And, you know, I'm guessing all of us, as we are in this new context of quarantine, um, have seen some maybe new claws come out of our family members in the last couple of weeks. Um, and the crazy thing is, none of us wake up in the morning and say, like, I'm going to be a jerk today. Nobody does that. And it happens. It happens. You know, I was telling some of you on my last morning reflection on Facebook, um, yeah, just the other day, I was having a terrible day, and I started feeling so insecure about how I was doing as a pastor and, a, and as a mom. And I knew it was a shame voice, but I just couldn't stop it. And it was creeping up in these really subtle, sneaky ways throughout the day. Um, like, I burnt the muffins that I was making, and then Isla ran out of clean jammies again. And then I'm behind on my prep for this talk. And I'm like, what does it matter anyway? I'm behind. I'm so stressed out. I don't have anything good to say. Nobody's going to want to hear it. What does it matter anyway? And I'm just feeling all this junk, and I'm stuffing it down. I'm trying to manage it. And I think I'm doing pretty good. Like, just turn the volume down on my brain, and that'll work, right? But no. 
we go to lunchtime with Isla, and I walk over to where the bibs are usually at, and there's no bibs. There's no clean bibs. So I march down the hall into the reading room where Amos is set up doing work, and I'm like, hey, babe, where's the bibs? Where's the bibs for the baby? And he doesn't look up because he's in the middle of something, rightly so. He's getting his work done, and he doesn't answer me immediately. And I just lose it. I let a rip on him, and I'm like, you never have the bibs clean on time. You never do the laundry. I'm always cleaning them up, and you're not helping, and I'm so jealous and annoyed that you're in here being productive, getting church work done, while I'm just drowning in laundry and dishes, and you don't help, and on and on and on it goes. Yeah. Not, not a proudest moment for me, right? But I do the things that I do not want to do. Our autopilot kicks in. Because somewhere in all of our stories, something was severed. Something went awry. The the gas, or I'm sorry, the brake was applied and the clutch wasn't. And so we're not okay. We're not okay. And you know what? Evil says, I want to destroy you. I want to destroy everything that is good and beautiful and true and keeps you connected and feeling worthy of love and belonging. I want all of that gone in your life. And so... Like, evil would love to keep us distracted. Evil would love to keep all of our mental energies just spinning, spinning, spinning on how to make us okay again. But if you're like me, man, you realize that is not productive. That was the most unproductive, terrible day I've had in a while. Like, I just got nothing done because I was so, so deep in my shame in that space. And this is what God does about our shame. This is what is so exciting he experiences his own shame on the cross so that ours can be healed. And that is what we just celebrated in Easter. But I want you to know that was not just a cool heroic death. That was Jesus's way to say, I love you, I see you, I want you, and I'm gonna die to make that happen. And you know what? In my death, I'm doing this so that our relational connection will never be broken that you will always have the clutch of my love applied when I have to say no to you. That is who Jesus is. And, you know, just because that's true, we don't often or always live like it is. And so I want to take us back to Peter. You know, Peter, now Jesus has died. He's, he's resurrected. And Peter has already been with Jesus in this resurrected body. Um, and Jesus comes to his disciples one more time. And he finds them on a beach. And why are they at the beach, you'd say? Well, it's because Peter said, forget it. What's the point? I'm just going to go back to fishing. He's going back to the thing that's comfortable. He's going back to his old way of living, his old life. I like it. I'm comfortable. I'm competent. I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to be a fisherman. It's crazy, right? The reality of the living Jesus is right in front of his face. And yet, he says, I guess I'll just catch fish. Because that's what I'm really good at. 
And the funniest part of this story, you guys, is that uh, when Jesus shows up on the scene, they're not actually catching anything. Like, they're failing at catching fish. And Jesus calls out to them and kind of jokingly says, like, hey, it looks like this isn't working out for you so well. And you guys know the story. He gives them a better strategy. uh, And they have this miraculous catch of fish, right? And then Jesus says, hey, I'm going to use some of that fish and cook you guys a really awesome breakfast. So he does this. And this is where he starts to address Peter again in John 21, 15 to 17. And that says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I think it's easy for those of us who are familiar with this passage to read tone into Jesus' voice here. Like Jesus is saying, Peter, you better prove your love to me. You better prove that you are worthy of love even. It's almost like we hear this tone of reprimand, like Jesus saying, Peter, you got to make this up to me. You better make it up to me. And, you know, it says Jesus was, or Peter was grieved in his heart um, that Jesus had to ask him three times. And you can imagine this voice of self-condemnation that starts to bubble up in Peter. Like, yeah, Jesus, you know, you're right. If I really loved you, I wouldn't have denied that you were my friend. I wouldn't have been aggressive and violent. I wouldn't have lied. I'm an idiot. What was I thinking? I say that you're the most important thing to me, and I can't even stand to be associated with you. I'm definitely disqualified from anything that has to do with Jesus in the future. I'm just a failure. But you know what? Jesus isn't saying that. He isn't saying, you know what, Peter, you're right. I knew I couldn't trust you. With each repetition of that question and answer, he says, Peter, feed my sheep. This is the amazing part of the story, you guys. Jesus is saying to Peter, I see that you screwed up. I see your shame. I know you blew it, but I am not going to let your shame win. I am not going to let you stay stuck. I have work for you to do. And even better, we notice that Jesus doesn't address him as Peter. In this passage, he says, Simon, son of John. And what he is saying here is he's not only addressing present-day Peter, he's saying Simon. He's addressing and acknowledging the old Peter, who he was, all of his past junk, all of his past hurt. And he doesn't even say Simon. He says, Simon, son of John. 
He says, I see what has happened to you. I see the shame that you have received from your parents and your grandparents and generations before them and generations before them. Jesus knows that we are carrying in our stories, in our lives, this history of shame because it started with Adam and Eve way back in the garden and it has continued into this moment. And, you know, we all have things that we're hiding from God. And, you know, it's just like your closet at home. You find stuff, it's junk, you don't want to deal with it, you don't want to see it, throw it in the closet, out of sight, out of mind. I can forget about it. But here's the problem with shame. It doesn't work like that. It's still doing its work, even though you can't see it. And we just don't want to deal with that, because it's hard. It's hard, it's painful, it's slow, But you know what? God says, I want to see it. I want to see it all. And I want you to see me seeing it. I want you to see me seeing your junk so that you know that what's in your past is no match for me. I want you to see me looking at your junk and hear me say, I still have work for you to do. You know, after the dust settled with Amos and I realized, like, this day has just been terrible. I'm not getting anything done. I just feel so ashamed. I went back to him and I said, hey, I want to tell you how I'm feeling. I'm realizing I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. I'm stuck in trying to prep this talk and I feel like I might fail. But in that, I actually recognize that that outburst about you has nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with the fact that I thought you were a bad dad or a bad pastor. It had everything to do with the fact that I, in that moment, was worried that I was a bad mom and I was a bad pastor. And I was worried that you were going to reject me for that. And that wasn't easy. It was not easy. But you know what? In that moment, he was able to see me in my shame. And he was able to help me tell a different story. And the different story was, you know what? No, Allison, you're called and you're equipped to do whatever work God gives you to do. And you're not going to do it perfectly, but you can do it faithfully. You can show up. So I just want you to know today the healing of our shame is not just about getting rid of that nasty feeling of sin. It's not just about feeling better. It's about being better. It's about God saying there's an action here. I'm inviting you to not only be this outpost of beauty in the world, but I'm inviting you to go make new things. Make new things of beauty. I am recommissioning you. That's what this passage is about. He's reinstating Peter. That's the title of the passage. He's saying, I see your shame. You blew it. I still have work for you to do. And it's in the place where you thought it was least possible. So this morning, just know God does not see you and only see your pathology. He sees you as a new creation. You know, Jesus didn't say to Peter, like, sure, you can be back on my team, but like, you're still kind of broken. You're still kind of messed up. So I'm just going to give you the scut work, like the work that nobody else wants to do. That's where you got to start and you can work your way up. No, he says, feed my sheep. And initially, when you hear that, you're like, the sheep, that is scut work. They're dirty, they're smelly, there's a bunch of them running around in the wrong direction. Like, that's what you're giving me to do? 
But this is Jesus's life mission and purpose. This is his most treasured work to take care of his people. And that's what he tells Peter he gets to do with them. This is amazing, you guys. So where do we get to work? Where do we get to work right now? How can we walk away from here? Well, I mean, there's a ton of ways that you can create and make new things of beauty in the world that will bring God glory. But I would suggest that the best place to start is your own story, is your own life. God wants us to live into and tell a truer story, a truer story of who we are, one that we actually believe that the resurrection of Jesus matters and it can change stuff. It does. It matters. It can change you. And not least of all, in those places where you think, nope, shame is still derailing me, that's exactly where Jesus wants to start. So it doesn't matter if you consider yourself a creative person or not. Maybe you think like, I don't have an ounce of artistic talent in me. That's fine. God is a creator. He made you to also create. And that is a place where you're going to start to see your shame be undone. When you can show up in vulnerability and say, this is work I'm doing, and I want to offer it to the world, and be unashamed that it's going to be rejected. So in your work as a mom or a doctor or an accountant or a tech person or a teacher, Work to tell your story in a more true way. Share the victories, share the defeats, share the joy, share the sorrow. All of that weaves together in this beautiful story. But you can't leave the shame out. We want to try to cover up that part. But you know what? Jesus says, you need to tell those pieces of it. I want to hear it. And you've got to have people in your life who ask you about it and who say, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to accept the parts of you that you really don't like. I'm going to have you see me loving you into this place of wholeness. And ultimately, God wants people in our life who can ask us this question. This is what I want you to think about today as we leave. What is the thing that I would make? What new thing would I do? in the world, in my family, in my vocation, if I could do it and not be ashamed. So let's pray. God, only you would write the story this way. We thank you this morning that you give us the courage to look at stuff that we would rather avoid so that we can tell our story ever more truer. And God, I thank you that that's true because we, we don't just live in our own little bubble, but we're part of your grand narrative. We're part of what you're doing in the cosmos. And we get to do it with you. So God, as people just invite you into the places that they are not proud of, God, I pray that your love and your forgiveness and your acceptance would just wash over people so that we can be free, so that we can be freed up to not spend so much energy trying to make ourselves okay, but so that we can put our time and our effort and our talents into building things that are beautiful with you. 
God, I thank you for my community, this church, this beautiful people that I get to do this with so that I know that I'm not alone in this work. Yeah, thanks for making us beautiful, God, and inviting us into more and more and more of your beauty. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.